our first Sunday of 2024. Thousands of churches all over the country are preaching about New Year's resolutions and fresh starts and new beginnings. And you guys get to hear about Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> so count your blessings. <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. These two notorious cities, uh, they're used in the Bible as uh, the, the poster children for wickedness and the judgment that comes from God against it. We've been looking at Genesis through the lens of redemption. And in this, I spent a lot of time explaining that God is proactive in redeeming for himself a holy people after his own name. But redemption is not just beneficial for us for the future, that we're redeemed from death, uh, right? The, the penalty of our sin. But we're going to also see that redemption is powerful for us today in this temporary life. That we have, yes, been redeemed from the penalty of sin, but we're also being redeemed from the power of sin. That it's no longer our master. That we no longer have to sin. That we no longer have to do what it says. But that we are now free in Christ to live obedient and holy lives for his glory and for his pleasure. In this Genesis account, we're going to learn about the graveness of sin. The righteous judgment against it, but also the grace of God to redeem us from it. So for the next two weeks, we're looking at escaping Sodom. That's the, that's the message to Lot and his family from the angels that come. Escape, escape, get away, for the judgment of God is here. So if you'll follow along with me, Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it reads this. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house, and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. 
Let's pray. Our Father, it is an honor to hear your word. These are words that are ancient and true, eternal, because they're in your book. God, may we not turn a deaf ear to them. Help us to not only hear, but to understand. And may that understanding increase to a faith that we may believe you and be credited as righteous. So, Father, there is some grave warnings in here. There's things that we don't want to listen about. We don't want to hear these things. But, God, because they're here, we must. So help us to know you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. The majority of the narrative starting in chapter 12 has been about Abraham. And for good reason, because Abraham's the man that God chose to bless the world through. Called him out of the east into the land of Canaan. And, uh, but with him came family, and one of those is Lot. Lot is a nephew. Lot, his father had died even back in the land of the Chaldeans before they had ever left. And so Abraham has been raising him almost like his own son. We've seen him part ways with Abraham. They both became wealthy. They both became uh, great herdsmen. Their, their, their flocks were doing really well, and the land couldn't hold both of them. If you remember, they parted ways. Abraham gave them a choice where to go. Lot chose the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Saw the great uh, countryside and the hills were, were flourishing, and so he chose that area. We saw Lot once more, sort of, in when the, the kings of the east battled the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that, they took Sodom and Gomorrah as captives. And in that, Lot was taken captive. And so Abraham took his men, went up and defeated those kings, rescued Lot, the king of Sodom, all of them, and brought them back. That's really all we have heard of Lot. So as we find in uh, chapter 19, we're now introduced to more of his lifestyle. Where was he? Where, what's he doing? And it, immediately we see he is sitting at the gate. That is where the leaders of the city sat. There was like, almost like a judgment bench that they would sit at the gate of the city. So if anybody had any decisions that had to be made between them, a conflict that needed to be resolved, uh, they came to the leaders of the city. And they would act as judges for the people. So that is Lot. He, he's moved there. He's a sojourner. That's what people still see him as. We, he, they, he was called that here. Uh, but he's become more of a leader in the city. We could make a lot of assumptions about Lot's spiritual life. Right? We could make a lot. He's chosen to live in the most wicked place on earth. He's become a leader there. But that's not how he is presented to us. In scripture, he's presented much different than that. Because if it was just up to me reading this story, I would say Lot's not too great of a guy. <laughs> I mean, let's just look at 2 Peter. And, and I want to read to you Peter's definition of Lot, right? And see if that's what you would describe him as, having just read this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 6, listen to this description. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly 
And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Is that what you would describe Lot as? <laughs> over and over it called him righteous, right? Righteous Lot. And so among the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Abraham had pleaded with God, if there's but just ten righteous people there, will you, not you know, will you refrain from destroying them? And God agreed. I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's ten righteous people living there. These are great cities. Okay, these are massive cities. In fact, not just Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed, but it says surrounding cities, almost like suburb cities. So you can see this is a, a major population of people, and he says, just ten. Just ten. Well, there wasn't, was there? <laughs> there wasn't just ten. So in our next, um, in your notes there, it says, in Sodom and Gomorrah, only one righteous soul was found. <laughs> only one righteous soul. One righteous soul. <laughs> Out of all of those cities, one. And of course, we're kind of, Ah, that what, what, what Lot says to the men of the city really dis distresses us, right? <laughs> and we're going to get to that. And, and, and it's that, those statements he makes there that really frustrates my idea of righteousness. <laughs> and you go, how can he be called righteous? Well, I think it's the same way we're called righteous, right? I think it's the same way Abraham was called righteous. You don't earn your righteousness, do you? You are deemed righteous by your faith in God. Uh, so these, these angels that have left Abraham, God stayed behind. There was three, now there's two. They go and visit Lot, and they tell him, we're, gonna, we're going to stay in the public square. Lot says, no, you're not. <laughs> he knew his city. You don't go out there at night. You don't. It, it is dangerous, and you will surely die. I mean, that's really what he's saying. You're new to the area, uh, and, and you do not want to be out there. You're going to come home with me. So he, he practiced this hospitality, but really it was uh, for the sake of the people. It was for the sake of the people. Because in John chapter 3, it reads this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And for, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Throughout the Bible, it talks a lot about the, the, the correlating between darkness and wickedness. Even from Genesis chapter 1, it says God separated the darkness from the light. <laughs> I think that was kind of setting up this pattern that, that the, the greatest wickedness happens at night 
where people can hide under the cover of darkness, where they think they're not being seen. And, and so he says, listen, you think this place is wicked during the day? You don't want to be outside during the night. It is uh, just absolute evil. And, 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 and so he knows they're not safe. He takes them into his home to care for their needs, but mostly to save their lives. And we find this righteous lot, as it says, distressing over the sins of his people. His soul is tormented continually over the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, a people who he has now become a leader for. And, and so he brings these men in, he washes their feet, he gives them a meal, and sure enough, the sun goes down, darkness is now in, in the city, and it, it says, the men come, right? The men come. So our last uh, point here, Lot was considered righteous only because he believed God, Okay? So let's get that straight, <laughs> because we think, wait, the apostle Peter called Lot righteous. We're going to hear what Lot has to say here in a minute, <laughs> but, but we're finding a description of Lot that I think changed even my views this week about Lot. He was a righteous man. He believed God. God had credited him with righteousness. That was a gift. Righteousness is always a gift, <laughs> okay? He's a righteous man living in an extremely wicked city. He's become a leader there, I think, trying to change things for the good, maybe trying to make good judgments in a place where only bad judgments are being made. And he sees these two men come in, and uh, angels of the Lord, you know, coming in, in human figure, and he says, you need to come in. I want to protect you. I know what this city is like. So we've seen the righteousness of Lot and then what brings to us here in the scriptures is a description of the unrighteousness of Sodom's men. The Lord had told Abraham that the great outcry had risen to him against Sodom and Gomorrah. A great outcry because the sin of the, the city was so grave. At least my translation said grave. That's uh, chapter 18 verse 20. Uh, that, that word grave is kind of that word for glory. <laughs> it's that weightiness, right? So we have the glory of God. That's the weightiness of God, his, his wonder and majesty. But on the opposite spectrum, using almost the same word, we have the weightiness of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that they are so far opposite of God in their glory that their glory is their shame and their guilt. And it has risen to the Lord. An outcry has come to the Lord that this place is as evil as evil is. And so in Romans chapter 1, we read this. Therefore, God gave them up. This whole first chapter is all about the sin of humanity, setting up a description of the righteousness and redemption of God. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And at the very end of that chapter, he says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now listen, homosexuality was brought up in Romans chapter 1 because he's making this point that sin is going against the very nature of how God made things. That God has made us for a purpose and a plan and every, every sin is unnatural. But there's no uh, maybe better example of unnatural, um, us doing things unnaturally than a homosexual union. And so we see this in Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's, it's, it's even more than that, okay? We don't want to just take that sin and say it's the gravest of all sins. They were ready not only to commit homosexual relations with these men, because they said, bring them out. We want to know them. That's a word like a man knows his wife. We want to know them that way. They were ready to, to rape them, and they were ready probably to murder them. Okay, so, so sin has this terrible downward spiral. These men were corrupt and darkened and depraved in their hearts. And let me tell you the warning. We can look at that and go, boy, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not like that. I'm pretty good. But James chapter 2 reads this, if we can, for whoever keeps the whole law, but falls just in one point, has been accountable for all of it. So death is worthy for all people who've sinned like this, or maybe have just sinned once. Maybe we just do those white lies. We don't really do those deep, you know, lies. God says it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Meaning that any sin contrasted with the glory of the living God is such an affront to him, in your notes, so terrible, that death is worthy for all who have sinned. Death is worthy for all who have sinned. Sodom and Gomorrah are just showing us how deep sin runs. And if it goes without check, if there's no accountability, that's how terrible we can be. And let's, let's even notice here, it's not just like there was this group of bad boys in town you had to avoid, right? There wasn't just a, a small group of men that you just needed not to go down their alleyway at night. It says every single man, young and old, to the very last one. It's pointing it to this. This kind of sin was the culture. That was the norm, that was how everybody was. And Lot lived among that, and his soul was in great torment. It just tore him up to know that that, that was his neighbors. This was the gravest of sins, and they were all doing it. This would have been called normal. What Lot was trying to do in righteousness was abnormal to the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. So then we get to 
lot. And these men are banging on the door. All right, this is a massive mob of people coming to his door because they saw new men, right? It was men they didn't know before, and they wanted them. So they're pounding on the door of the house, bring them out to us. And Lot, you know, squeezes out the door, closing it behind him, trying to protect his guests, and says, well, I have two virgin daughters. I'll bring them out if you want to do what you want to them. So you wrestle with that. Why? Why would he say such things? It, I, I mean, we do say stupid things if we're in sheer panic. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he knew the men didn't want them. The men wouldn't do anything to them. Maybe he just said something dumb. So, I, you know, I try to wrestle with that, but I don't want to get into his motivations. I don't want to get into what he meant because we just don't know. It's not given to us. Here's what we do know. There's two things that we know for sure about his statement to those men. First of all, the men declined. <laughs> what it's teaching us is that the depravity of their sin was so deep, they were inflamed with so much lust for men that they turned down women. It's really building for us this uh, description of Sodom and Gomorrah so corrupt that they were, they, they were given a chance to have, I, I hate to even call it natural relations, it, it, they, but, and they, they just said, no, we don't want that. We want the men. And so for us, as the reader, we're learning and we're seeing it and we're going, oh, because you can read, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to get completely annihilated from heaven, burned up, everyone dies, young, old, kids, adults, everybody. And we can say, that's not fair, God. That's just unjust. But reading this, you're like, oh, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There's no question in my mind anymore. And so it's giving us a view a view that we probably don't want, but a view anyway into the depravity of sinful men's hearts. And when it doesn't have accountability or it's go unchecked, no one's holding them back. Anything is possible for us. Secondly, Lot doesn't actually give his daughters over. Let, let's just think, like, he didn't actually go through with it, okay? And I only bring that up because there's going to be a point in Israel's history. Israel, this nation that God chose for himself, this nation that was supposed to be a light to the world, that was supposed to declare God's glory and goodness to all the Gentile nations. This nation was supposed to be God's representative on earth, and there is an extremely similar story that happens in the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. <laughs> Just like this, Lot didn't go through with it, but in Judges chapter 19, Bob, it says this, but the men would not listen. So what happens is there's this man from Levi, all right, a Levite man. If you know who the Levites were, right? They're supposed to be the priests, right? This Levite man takes a concubine for himself, this extra woman into his home to be like a wife, and then the men come to his door you know, and, and starts pounding on the door, and look what happens. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. 
And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, as, get up, let's, let us be going. But there was no answer, because she was dead. I, Genesis 19 is showing us, we think, oh, how awful. These, these nations of the world, how you know, great can their sin be? I think it's leading us up to judges and goes, look how awful Israel became. Because not, Lot just offered his daughters. That Levite man gave her to them. And she was murdered by them. And so what's supposed to be God's people falling into the exact same grievous sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19 is not some isolated extreme incident, but it's showing the pattern of wickedness in us that is it, that's really bringing us to show we need redemption. <laughs> we need to be saved from ourselves. In your notes, the, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah would become a pattern of behavior in sinful men's hearts throughout time. And not just the nations that didn't know God, but even inside the nations that knew him. That's the awfulness of sin. That's what it's showing us. That's what this whole thing is showing us. That, the, that sin, if it's not conquered, if it's not killed, is going to take us to the grave. Every single person, no exemption. And so when we can look at this and think, God actually caused someone to escape that, to escape the judgment, to live. That's where our minds need to look and go, wow, all oh, the goodness and the loving kindness of our God. Because we are certainly worthy of death. But he, in his great love for us, has from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, promised and set into motion this, uh, this truth that he is bringing people to himself away from the judgment and the fire of judgment into himself where life and freedom is. That is the greatness of salvation. And because we even see here that the angels eventually rescue Lot. He, he is not able to rescue his own family. He's not res able to rescue the angels. So they grab him, drag him in, and they blind the people. I don't know if they suddenly just become glorious like heaven and it's like that light blindness. Uh, some have tried to describe it, but it doesn't matter. People couldn't see. It doesn't even say they went home then, did it? They wore themselves out trying to get in that house. Blindness didn't stop them. If we think we can just stop sinning by our own strength and our own, you know, gung-ho, we are sorely mistaken. We are wrong. We cannot stop sin. We can't. But God can. And he is. And he did. So let's uh, finish up with our three applications. 
First of all, Sodom teaches us that sin angers God and is deserving of his judgment. It's deserving of his judgment, okay? We're going to do part two next week. We're going to see what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah, what happens to Lot and his family. Uh, but we need to understand that sin is worthy of death, okay? That an eternal hell is not unjust. It's not unfair. It's not unrighteous. It is fair. It is righteous, and it is true. That passage in Peter even told us Sodom and Gomorrah has happened in the past for your benefit that you know that there is eternal fire for those who are in wickedness. That's why they're there. That's why it's written for us. Okay? Lamentations chapter 4 verse 6 says, For the chastisement of the daughter of my people. Okay, this is Jeremiah grieving over Jerusalem. All right, this is the city of God has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. No one missed her. No one remembered her, right? And then in Jude 7, he uses it as well. Sodom and Gomorrah, again, used throughout the Bible. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serves, look at that, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we can read this and go, it's just a story. No, it's not. It is a warning to each of us that sin results in death. Secondly, those who trust in the Lord will be spared. That is a miracle. That is wonderful. That we don't even have to earn our own way. We don't have to try in our own effort to find the fire escape. <laughs> We're dragged out. We are brought out by the loving, powerful hand of God. That he would reach down to us and all we do is believe him. And he says, you're mine now. And you'll never face the judgment ever. You'll never see it. You'll never know it. It says in Galatians 2, 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one is justified. We are made right. We are righteous like Abraham. We are righteous like Lot. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the grace of God where we believe him and he credits us his righteousness. And it's his righteousness which we need to enter his presence without which we will never see God. Lastly is this. It might be the hardest one for us to chew on for a while. God is glorified in all of his judgments. Next week, we're going to see fire and sulfur come down from heaven and destroy thousands and thousands of people. And what it must do in our hearts is say, all praise to the one who is holy. God is honored and God is glorified, not just when he saves us and spares us, but God is glorified in the killing of the wicked. Look at Revelation 19. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God 
for his judgments. All of them are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. We don't sing hymns like that, do we? We don't sing songs in church like that. Oh, praise to the one who burns the wicked forever and their smoke goes up. But they do because they know that God, is, His glory is seen in His justice just as much as it is in His redemption. Just as much as he, when he spares one and he punishes the other, he is equally glorified in that because it's his glory and his righteousness on display for us to see. So may we, as we read Genesis 19 and we read about things that we don't like to talk about, we don't want to hear about it. I'll tell you what, it's not, I don't want to say it's overly fun even preaching these things saying words like these sinful acts that they were doing, but it is necessary because then we see how awfully pathetic we are in order to save ourselves and it magnifies the cross of Jesus and says when he went to that cross, he took and became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. And so as we come to this table, that's what we're celebrating We're somberly looking upon the Holy One who died a Sodom's death that we could live a Messiah's life. Isn't that incredible? So I want to give you time in your heart to truly look to the Lord, pray to Him. We're going to come up and take the elements. If you know, it is for those who put their trust in Christ, it's for those who are right with the Lord. For those who are celebrating the life of Christ. But I want you to first repent. Just do it. Repent of your sin. Get right with God. And then thank him for the cross of Christ. And for his son to sacrifice himself for you.